Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know we do not favor matrimony with outsiders. Can you even tell us what matrimony is? It's when two people are joined in God. We worship thee as the author of every good and perfect gift. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say this, but I don't trust you. She's stronger than you and me. You don't understand, do you? Did you realize that I will have to go back soon? You've got to go on living when he isn't here. I mean, he's not dead. You're not dead. Your husband may never walk again. But he lived. Finished, Ben. You must make up with him. A husband and wife have to be able to talk to each other. I want you to find a man to make love to. I've come to dance. And then come back here and tell me about it. Are you sleeping with other men to feed his sick fantasies? Have you any idea what it's like to be cast out? You got yourself involved in something which is out of your control. His, his head's full of scars. He's up to his eyeballs in drugs. He doesn't know what he's saying. Just gotta get out of here. Be gone, Beth McNeil, from the house of God. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Hey, that is that's a fake background. That is a fake background. What, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? That looks set dressed. So art directed. It's so art, yeah. It's so funny. I, I literally was in the bath 20 minutes ago, and um this is a, this is completely off the cuff. Well, that's good. It's a clean show anyway. Yeah, that's right. Oh, oh. It's a wasted um, background. Uh yes. I like what apparently they're using them now. Like uh, people go on CNN and stuff are having fake backgrounds made of, you know, to show all the books they think they should be reading. It's the trophy. <laughs> it's the trophies. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing that, I mean, I think like Ricky Gervais is kidding. I hope, you know, I think it's, a, I think it's a joke, but a lot, there's a lot of trophies going on. That's Hello, okay, in the background. Oh, right behind them. Yeah. All of their, all of their awards. I'm just like, man, you are, that's impressive. Really? You gotta be clear. You gotta put them just so that they're just a little, just like where my finger is, you see just enough to know. That I'm sorry. Is that an award? That yeah. I, did I just catch a glimpse of an award? Yeah. <laughs> well, I will, let me give you a tip as uh, um, 
uh, oh God, I apologize. I should know this. I can't remember. Did you get, you guys must've went, went through some of this with um, Place Beyond the Pines, uh, the, the whole, so you've, you've been through this, uh, this jaunt before. Oh, the, the um, press jaunt. And you know, uh, the awards I, I, thing. And I haven't been through it like this at all. And, and, you know, I'd be lying if I said I did. The Place Beyond the Pines didn't really garner a lot of, you know, awards actually, interestingly. Um, there was, there was press, but not, you know, Right. We didn't, you know, this has been, and then of course, even if we were doing awards, it wouldn't have been like this fucking pandemic shit. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yes. uh, which is like a special version of hell. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, by the way, the, the zoom calls are just fine. It's just that there isn't, there isn't the beer or the anything, you know, it's the yeah. vacancy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's, it's very odd, but no, I've also, when, when, uh, um, uh, I did my little, my little rondelay with the uh, awards, uh, season a ways back, I always said, um, Joe loves this. I always said, like, what I would do if I had won is I would have a chart with the heights of all of my friends. And then uh, when they'd come over, I would, uh, my Oscar would be hanging from the ceiling inside the door and it would be lowered just enough so it would just brush <laughs> your head. <laughs> and, and then I go, Oh, sorry. Did my Oscar oh, hit you in the head? I'm, I'm terribly, terribly sorry. <laughs> terribly sorry. Uh, we're, we're very excited. Actually, we're excited for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because uh, our guest, Darius Martyr, is the um, uh, co writer and director of Sound of Metal, which um, let, me, let me say this now because if it enrages you, you can, you can storm, storm off and off now. It's okay. one of those movies that shouldn't be even one tiny bit as good as it is. I am, I am, God so, damn it. I am so averse. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. It's not like, it's not like the subject matter speaks to like an after school special, but it speaks to a kind of movie that just 99 times out of a hundred is just a, a, a dreary, you know, it's usually some actor looking for a comeback. Uh, you know, I'm going to play a deaf guy. There's my Oscar. And you just go, God, um, oh, you're, I really, you're really selling this. Yeah, but I, I I marvel at a movie like this how how you manage to and it's I guess it's just because it's so human it's so real it's so specific that it becomes universal somehow. Um, it's it's an amazing film. It's just it's a it's a. Well, it's also got a, a remarkable leading man. Incredible, uh, yes, a, a, a terrific performance, and it's also got I think the sound design of the year. And I yes, and I, I, I know I've read was, a lot of you know articles about how they took the soundtrack from Mant uh, Mank and they re-recorded it in a theater and all that stuff. And that's all very nice, but th there's something about something so specific about the fact that, that this is about a movie about a guy who's losing his hearing. Yep. And, and yet it, it's a movie for people who do hear and has lots of characters who hear and yet, and the, 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 the ambience around the movie changes uh, yep. really subtly and, yep. and impressively. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. The, our, our presuppositions about movies based on their thematic, uh, you know, log line um, is kind of interesting to me, actually, because I like that people come into this film with an idea of what they think they're going to see. Oh, for even, sure. And, yeah. I, and, I yeah. even, and I even bait, bait the audience with the title, you know, <laughs> like, it, you know, just to, just to really supplant you in a complete sense of you think you know. You right. think you know what the sound of metal is. You think you know everything. And I totally agree that, that, you know, it's a fraught kind of a subject material. And we've seen films, you know, yes, there are these kind of films, but it's also, it's also interesting to me too, the way, 
we think in those terms because mm-hmm. you know like if 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 um you know there's a if if a movie involves space we don't know if it's star wars or 2001 right you know right. and yeah. and it's not yet we think you know we go into these things thinking we know just because it has a, a kind of you know quote unquote disability movie you know yeah. which is which also makes me sick you yeah. know so yeah. it's it, it's it's interesting to play with that and i think it's an interesting thing to discuss today even uh you know around what how you how you play with an audience's expectations yeah no very much so um uh and it's interesting because there's another movie out i don't know if you, have you have you seen the father yet have you had any really love it? really love to see it i did a i did a zoom with uh florian and what a what a cool guy and i'm really ah. excited to see it i've heard great things because it's kind of the same i mean a very different film but but it's also wonderful but it's a it's a sort of similar thing where you're going oh god here we go you know a mother or a woman dealing with her father with alzheimer's and then aside from amazing performances and an incredible script and really it subjectively puts you inside the head of somebody with Alzheimer's in an amazing way. And, exactly. um, and yeah, I, which, which is an incredible way to do it. Um, but yeah, the sound, the sound design in your film is, is something else, especially and I, well, we won't go into it too much because we don't talk about our guest work. That's the antithesis of why we're here. Yeah. Please but, uh, <laughs> don't talk about my work, <laughs> but, but, and I don't want to, but especially the scenes when he gets the implants and you're hearing, uh, you know, what it's like for him. My, my mother's partially deaf. She, she can hear, she, um, but she had to get uh, hearing aids put in a while back, the, the, I guess, sort of an implant thing. And, and she described uh, what it sounded like at first. I, I just couldn't, you know, hearing that was incredible. Uh, it was just incredible. Um, it, well, that, that, that's the, the whole, the whole um, endeavor. And I think it's, it's good apropos of our conversation is just about, what it, it what it really means to go on a visceral journey, what it means to be emotionally invested in something and how you actually achieve that through the discipline yeah. of filmmaking. And that sound design is all about that. That's that empathy yeah. machine, like Roger Ebert said, that's what that is, that first person thing. So you actually do, it. you know, the question is, can you feel within the shoes of your character and to what degree can you feel that? And yeah. What happens when you do? Yeah, yeah. it's really interesting. But thank yeah. you about, thanks for saying that about the sound design. It only took 23 weeks. It was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty straightforward. <laughs> I cannot imagine. We won't, we but, won't um, tell them that right now he's doing the entire thing in sign language. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, but the other, the other reason I'm, I'm excited and, and also anxious, um, we've, we've never done this. We've had people come in and talk about favorite filmmakers, favorite genres, their favorite movie, what have you. Um, but Darius, Darius wants to talk about one movie. Well, I was and told that's what you do. We, we, we usually do 10. Oh my God. No, Did no, it's own? okay. It, it's okay. <laughs> this is a different, this is a different approach, but what, what we've done is because it's called the movies that made me people yep. come in and they talk about in general, a lot of the movies that were influential to them and infl- infected their work and, you know, made them who they are today in the, in the, in the business. But, and we've never actually dissected an entire movie the entire show uh and i'm all for it i i think great you know go for it let's yeah. see what happens <laughs> i mean i i wrote back i was like hey if he can do it we 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 want it um and it was fun because uh well i should i give it well you're going to talk about uh large Montreal's breaking the waves and um sorry i was so tempted to say hamburger the motion picture just to just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a similar vibe similar vibe um 
and it was a it was a great excuse because sometimes people will go like, oh, I'm gonna do a genre and I'm gonna do ten movies. And I'm like, I don't have time to. But um, it was a great excuse to go back and watch a movie that honestly, I had almost forgotten, except for we'll talk a little bit later when we're talking about what, what I did remember. But um, uh, it was, I hate to say happy when you're talking about a Lars von Trier film, but it was such a happy excuse to go back and revisit a film that I had almost forgotten how powerful it was. And, um, and it was interesting thinking about your movie, watching it. Uh, mm. I, I mm. believe you. I believe you. That's all I'm going to say. But yeah, I mean, do you want to jump in? Like, what, what is your, you know, how, how did you first see the film? What was your Well, that the seeing, part? you know, I would just preface it by saying growing up, you know, growing up, I didn't see a ton of films because I was, I was living it very kind of, in a way, isolated, although I had very eccentric parents, like New York, uh, New York kind of two eccentric families in New York. But I would grow up on a goat farm and, you know, like a spiritual community in Massachusetts. And um, I didn't, I grew up without a television and we saw just the occasional movie, even though both of my parents are extremely interested in film. And so I, it's a little like, it was the same with restaurants. You know, I never went out to eat. And I think still when I sit down in a restaurant, I still feel such a kind of giddy sense of joy. And, and, you know, and I, so I have these handful of films that kind of marked my, you know, really hit hard because I never saw anything. And, um, and of course, by the time, I think it was 96, when this movie was out, of course, I had been alive for a while and had seen a lot of films at that point, but going to a theater and seeing something that utterly surprised, surprises me is, is, is you know, the best experience in the world. And this, and this was that. And I was probably, I was in my early 20s and I saw it in Midtown Manhattan on a great screen. And it was, it was one of the most extraordinary cinematic experiences of my life. It was just, it was, it was so exceptional. And it was one of these experiences that was visceral, you know, that was, I felt like I, it was visceral on a lot of levels. And I'd love to kind of talk about what certainly, you know, I'll talk about it very personally, just what it did to yeah. me to see this. But this this language that I was familiar with the uh, DP's work, um, Muller, uh, who died last year or died in 2018. I think he died while we were shooting, which was sad. Mm. He's he's a, an amazing DP and he had he's worked on like Jim Jarmusch and- Yeah, um, Robbie Muller. Um, yeah. Is, uh, yeah. Is extraordinary. I, I, I was, yeah, we were, um, my friends and I were sort of obsessed with uh, kind of the German new wave and things yeah. like that in the, in the early eighties. And he kept popping up on those things and the repo man came out. And even for people who didn't spend a lot of time thinking about DPs, there was just this awareness that Robbie Mueller was the coolest DP alive. I had forgotten he'd shot. Paris, uh, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he almost owns, there's a kind of lime green, that uh, this neon lime green that like is in almost every Robert, Robbie Mueller film, not in Breaking the Waves. I was not in Breaking the Waves. Well, it <laughs> has such a specific, it has such a specific palette. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, and really interesting in its palette, actually, because it, it, it deals in these kind of yellows and ochres, but, but specific to, it seems like they, they bump it for the sickness of yawn. You know, like when he's when you're with him, it's it's a bit more kind of jaundice, 
you know, to really kind of pull you into that. I, I felt that anyway. I'm not sure if I'm right, but but anyway, he's just such a legend. And the way that he, the way that they shot this film and this kind of conceit of using these chapters, which I've still never seen um, used in that way, where it was really exceptional for, I thought, incredibly specific reasons and also the way it was cut. So, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see, cause you just watched it. Yeah. Um, did you, did you feel that it was at all, um, did it lose a step for you in all those years? Did you no, no. Like, if anything, it gained, it gained something. Um, and, and maybe just cause I'm older and sort of able to accommodate certain things now that I probably couldn't when I first saw it. Um, but yeah, the chapters of the film are, are fascinating because it cuts to these stills that it's hard to tell if they're matte paintings merged with photos. With they're, they're very I mean they're they're beautiful images. And they then were they, early computer. They were early CG. Were they okay? That's I was wondering. CGI, okay, that, yeah. Because it was ten years later, I'd assume they were CG. Um, and then they're uh, long excerpts from kind of. 70s album rock <laughs> that, so amazing and they go on forever they're really well, long well, let's, okay okay let's let's talk about yeah, this okay sure. yep. now now here's what's kind of cool i i i actually almost put chapters in sound of metal um and as a matter of fact i did put chapters in sound of metal uh but they just don't have words on them and there was something that my my DP who's also Dutch, by the way, Daniel Bouquet. Um, he's we, we we talked a lot about we talked about them as as sound portraits. And interestingly, in Lars's um, chapters, um, there's like you said, they're static images and they're they're epic static images. He's shooting in like super you know super wide format. Yeah. So so they're these epic static shots but in each shot something surprising happens on a visual level so there's this kind of cg component on each shot so you are blasted with these this iconic music that sucks you in in such a deep emotional way these are some of the like david bowie and elton john and everything you're just sucked into this like extraordinary music and then on each one there's some kind of you're you're brought to from one place to another visually in a way that's surprising. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a rainbow forming or a helicopter flying through the the clouds or something like this. So, and the and the question is, okay, is this just nifty? Is this just an exciting idea? What's the point, right? But the interesting thing is, when you're not in those chapters, you're in an almost dizzying, like sickeningly personal, emotional landscape utterly devoid of music mm -hmm. and and there's and that's that's of course very much related to a dogma frame of mind you know dogma 95 and and which was by the way really important to me when i was in my 20s it was it was really uh it really affected me like it, we, it, we no. should really we should go into that a little bit for people who may not be yeah i'd sure. love to i'd love to do you, um did you guys get into it at all when it when it was happening I well, Joe was making, what, like, inner space. Well, I wasn't They're making those kind of movies, but, uh, you know, certainly uh, the, the idea of, uh, of restrictions, you know, saying, right. okay, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're not going to do. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. Now, I, I think that a lot of times he sort of broke his own rules. 
Well, you had well, to pitch Lars, Lars couldn't. <laughs> Lars couldn't. Couldn't. Uh, he couldn't. He couldn't stick with rules for very long. Yeah, he had to break his own rules. But they but, had, didn't they have they had fines basically that you had to pay of some sort. Uh, um, oh, it was. I, I think on a lot of levels it was a a gimmick in the sense that it was bringing attention to something yeah. to a group of filmmakers that might not have otherwise gotten attention. But the but but it was an incredibly uh, meaningful gimmick. And I don't, and I actually don't think it was a gimmick. I mean, I think that, like you said, restrictions is something we all think about. And it's, we, it, and, and I, I think I spend a lot of time thinking about restrictions. So let's talk about what Dogma 95 was. They, it was a group of filmmakers kind of headed up by Lars with, um, uh, a group of Danish filmmakers, um, many of whom I ended up working with years ago in, in Copenhagen and met and wonderful people. But um, they made these. They they made this manifesto that basically said we are going to make films and we are not allowed to use. And I'm going to get it all wrong, but we're not. Here, I've allowed. got them right in front of me. Do you want to hear? Oh, them? good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These, these are great. Um, one shooting must be done on location. Props and sets must not be brought in. Uh, the sound must never be produced apart from the image, or vice versa. The camera must be handheld. Any movement or mobility attainable in the hand is permitted. The film must be in color. Special lighting is not acceptable. Optical, optical work and filters are forbidden. The film must not contain superficial action. Temporal and geographical alienation are forbidden. Genre movies are not acceptable. The film format must be Academy 35. The director must not be credited. I think they broke, <laughs> they broke that last one in all of them. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's it. Was Vinterberg credited on the celebration? I'm, I'm he pretty must have been. sure. Yeah. We actually had uh, a while back on the show, we had Paprika Steen, who's one of the stars of Celebration. Um, oh. She was wonderful. She's got great stories about working on those. Oh, man. Uh, that's, that's so cool. What a, yeah. what a film. What a film. I mean, I, that, you know, that's another one that was just so extraordinary. But, you know, like that's, that's something, what a ballsy thing to do. You know, what an incredibly ballsy thing to do because you can say it, you know, but then you got to walk the walk. And to and basically, you know, what what I love about it so much is it was it was liberating in the sense of saying, really asking the question: Is storytelling so is it is it so infectious that you could remove all of these things that we think about as what we love about film, and we could still have transcendent films? And that's a that's a wonderful thing to do. And Lars also made that film, The Five Obstructions, which right. I think is like such a fantastic movie to go back and watch, which is one where he actually challenged his professor to go and make a film that he had made once to make it like five more times or whatever it, with different obstructions. Yes, yes. You know? Um, so anyway, this, this, so this is not a dogma film. Breaking the Waves is not a dogma film, but you see the... And he he very you know he he knew he was stepping outside of dogma language, but it it does have when you're in it, um, with the exception I think of one like little rock montage that is in there. You're it's pretty much apart from the chapters. It's pretty much yeah. a dogma language, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, and it's interesting because the the previous film he'd done there was a, a couple of years in between. I remember when Europa came out, it was as far from oh, yeah. dogma and as far from the look of this movie as you can get, it was beautiful. Every shot was a painting in black and white and, and incredibly stylized. And 
Um, it's just I so know. interesting. That whatever, I, I don't know enough about him to know, but something happened to him creatively and he came back as this guy and he has been this guy for decades. I, be, I can't wait to meet Lars. I haven't spoken with him, but I, but what's so interesting is the, you know, he's clearly got a penchant for control. Mm-hmm. This is what, this is what's fascinating about Lars. He, he's definitely one who seems to want control and you can, and you can hear that with any actor that, that has worked with him, especially uh, back then when he was extremely controlling with his actors. And yet I think that he was looking to, he was looking for transcendence in this very kind of Cassavetes way. He was looking for life and, and trying to find life on the screen and and I think challenging that deepest part of himself to relinquish control, you know, yeah. and that's what you see between Europa and, and, and breaking the waves is this yeah. extraordinary leap of, you know, into this lifelike, almost documentary like experience. Um, the, the way he was using the camera with the exception of those chapters. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of an, it's kind of an amazing nod to, to him and, and his willingness to step into uncomfortable territory, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. and, and allow, I don't think there was a lot of improvisation in the film though. I don't, I actually think it was highly scripted. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think the script took him a long time and I think it really goes to the heart of that dogma edict, which is about story. You know, it's like story, if your story isn't working, you know, forget it. But if your story is working, you know, you can, you can go to some pretty crazy places and, and really push the boundaries of our comfort level as an audience. Um, and I think that's what they do in this. I mean, the, the camera work is dizzying. It's sometimes out of focus. It's yeah. like they're, do, they're and, and so is the editing, you know, and I, I heard, I heard once him talk about the editing as emotional editing. Mm-hmm. You know, they were cutting for emotion. That makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah. Rather than cutting, rather than cutting in this kind of, you know, shot, counter shots, normal scene construction, um, they were really shooting and cutting for pure emotion. Yeah, he'll cut from one one shot to the same shot. <laughs> yeah. You know, 30 cut. seconds later. And um uh or do um yeah, I mean there's such wild the one that caught me, there's one shot in it, and we wouldn't be able to have this conversation about this if I hadn't just watched it tonight, because you can't imagine you remember this, but there's a shot fairly early on when they're married, when they're just married, and she she brings uh, her husband you know, into the bathroom, and she wants to have sex with him for the first time at the wedding. And Is it the one where they go to the mirror? Yeah, yeah. And there's a shot, oh no, but there's a shot of her that's out of focus. Yeah. And, and you're like, okay, great. He got a great performance. And this is this kind of movie where it's like, he doesn't worry about it. And then he cuts to a shot of him and he's out of focus. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like the one moment in there where I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's intentional. Well, you know, it's so, it's, it strikes me as being so Lars and so, yeah. uh, you know, and so kind of rigorously like, fuck you. Yeah, wow. yes. just fuck you. <laughs> it's so great. By the way, that, that should be yeah his his autobiography title, the uh, rigorous fuck you. <laughs> rigorous fuck you. Well, this this story is really interesting in how many fuck yous it has because it it's you know I would say number one you have your chapters. You also very early on in the story you have 
Emily Watson's character, um, Bess, look at the camera. Mm -hmm. So she breaks the, the wall. That's a fuck you. And then you also have her talking to God and God, but she talks in the voice of God. Yes. And that's a fuck you. <laughs> it's asking the audience to go with it. Well, and that's, that's what I mean by a fuck you. It's saying, what's fascinating. well, I think what the fuck you is at the very end of the film, when they answer the question of, is she nuts or is she talking to God? Um, they, they tell you, <laughs> I guess well, we can spoil a 25 year old movie. Cause I mean, that shot of the bells in heaven. Yeah ringing for her and you're like oh jesus <laughs> okay so let okay so let's so let's talk about that so yep. the so you know i would say that again what i thought this you know the reason i chose this film is that you know when my publicist put you said hey do you want to do this podcast and they said it was like what film would you talk about in relationship to yours mm. Okay, so I thought about this very specifically and and chose this film because it's a very important film for me, but it it's something that I thought about with Sound of Metal. And one of the things I thought about with Sound of Metal was uh, for years, I mean, this film, that film took me 12 years to make. But one of the things I thought about was earning the ending. You know, how do you how do you earn that ending? How do you feel that ending? And. I would say Lars was doing the same thing. And, you know, there's, there's only one moment in the movie where you look from a God perspective at the movie, where you step out into an omniscient frame, into a wide frame. And that's the last shot of the movie. Um, you know, the whole movie is interior. The whole movie is, it never, it never steps back. Um, I would even say the chapter markers aren't stepping back because they're almost disembodied. They're not, you're not looking at the movie you're watching when you, when the chapter markers come, you're actually stepping out of the movie completely and into a meditative state, which I'd like to talk about, but the, well, there's, but, there is, there's one shot of her when she's, I think she's on the bike um, after yeah. she's been cast out of the, the church mm. and she's biking up a road. And it actually, cause I remember uh, I was watching with my wife. We both went, Oh my God, it's beautiful. Just the, the landscape. And you realize that as much as you've been in this town, you hadn't really, it had all been so tight. And what it does is it just emphasizes, it's a very subjective shot in a way, it just emphasizes how isolated she is in this place. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But, the location yeah. was amazing. Yeah. But you never, but you, but that shot at the end is static. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's not handheld. It's a different language and it's, and it's looking down, of course, with bells in the forefront, uh, you know, hanging from heaven, apparently. And uh, I mean, what a what a audacious thing to do, but it's and but it's looking down at the ship where they were. So it's very much kind of related to what you were watching. Yeah. And and I would say that the whole movie was was working toward that with an emotional language like you were you were being made to believe in this language, mm -hmm. you know, this this narrative language where this woman is she simple is she you know misguided is she you know not talking to god or is she talking to god and what what is really going on here and and it's all in service of that that final shot you know which i think is really kind of remarkable you know i can't think of a lot of films that that so rigorously um, try to earn that, earn yeah. that moment, you know? 
um, and 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 really bet the farm on the idea that there is this kind of that you know what we can have a a transcendent moment at the end and actually feel that um, because it's it's crazy audacious, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of bonkers, um, and, <laughs> and I and romantic. Oh God, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like absurdly romantic. You yeah, know, it's all it's. It's, I would say it's like the final fuck you, but it's, but I, but it's more sincere than that. It's not a, a fuck you at the end. It's actually sincere. It's actually, it's actually really going for it. You know? Well, what's funny and, is he's trying to answer a question that in a, in a quote unquote normal movie, you would never try to answer. You would never answer. You know? That's right. You would leave it ambiguous. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like, no, it's not ambiguous at all. Here's God to tell you what the point is. <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's like, it's crazy. That's why I'm saying like you, who would think to do it? You know, you would never do it. But I, but I found it so um, kind of wonderful that he mm -hmm. allowed it because I think what it, uh, so I, so I would go back then and say, you know, this film, I think for me, the experience that I had with it is it thrusts you into an almost first-person perspective. It's not a first-person perspective. Like Sound of Metal is a first-person perspective. This movie is not. It's not. It, it it cuts between Bess and Jan when he's on the boat, and she. So it's not. It's not a dogmatically first-person perspective, but it puts you very much in the kind of purview of her, of her kind of relationship and her energy and her relationship to God and or not or her or her relationship to craziness and and it puts you there in a very very uncomfortable way and it pushes the boundaries of that discomfort in a way yeah. that's almost excruciating to watch i mean yeah. I, at least i found it it, so. it is yeah no it's it's hard it's excruciating because um because you love her you know i think that's really really bears mentioning i mean this film is about love you know, it's a it's a film that's dealing with the boundaries of love, you know, and what's what do we do for love and what's OK. And this character is so innocent and and like pure that the idea of watching her um, being asked to, you know, watching her defile herself is is just unbearable. It's like completely unbearable. And. And yet, I think what it's asking us to do is kind of enter into the enter into that ourselves. Like it's asking us to be in that place of discomfort for a reason. Like who are we, and what are what is our relationship to what is actually divine about us at all? You know, what is what is our own? Where do we stand on that? You know, what are what is our relationship to? Um, to love and to you know rules actually you know because the because the church is made up of all these rules and she's not she's made up of feeling you know and 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 so it's it's asking us to be there in this ridiculously visceral way and it's using music to alleviate that with those chapters yeah. so you know music um and i thought it was interesting in the script because as I remember, there's this moment in the beginning where the church asks Bess, you know, what good has the outside world ever brought this island? 
what has what what good has ever come from the outside world and she says music mm. you know so i think that i think that um the film then follows through on that actually and you are thrust into this absurdly rigorous language but then you get these reprieves and these the actual i think maybe lars is talking about the closest we get to god is music huh yeah that's you know? an interesting okay yeah yeah because i had the experience of watching that film where you can't breathe you feel you're underwater and then but then you get those chapters and you get to go you get to just have this like divine experience actual divine experience with music and because of the lack of music in the movie you really feel the music and like you say it goes on for too long yeah so, they're all well no, no there's long yeah i would say because because you want that and uh, you do want it you want it so yeah, bad yeah but but it's also it also like kind of brings up that language of like transcendent cinema and, and what they were talking about with that whole line of thinking which is about holding a shot for you know longer than you expect and what happens to our brains when you do that you know which i think is mm -hmm. really fascinating in films because we don't you know i i think the i think the idea in, in in like you know with brisson and stuff is that when you hold that shot for longer we don't do that in real life we don't hold a shot you know we in in, in our waking lives we won't look at the outlet the plug outlet over there and just stare at it for longer than we should. But what happens if we do do that, if the frame of a camera does it, it our minds actually start to work in a different way. We actually start living into the shot because we have to, <laughs> because, because it's not telling us anything else. And so I think those long chapter markers do that to our brain, where we actually get to kind of assimilate this horrendous kind of experience that we've had you know and we get to just almost meditate in it you know and let it go and then we get thrust back in you know and and we go oh shit, here we go again you know but it was really brilliant when uh when joseph losey was in his art house period in the 60s uh making pictures like the servant and the go-between one of his tropes was that he would hold on a on a shot after people had left yeah. like on a location or whatever and it, and you you'd go okay the scene's over and it would just it would just sit there and you just and you just have to contemplate what had happened in it right. and i'm i'm amazed he was able to get away with it as many times as he as he was because you know it's like some executive is watching the movie go what the what the fuck what the fuck am i watching <laughs> <laughs> i know but i it's... always enjoyed it i always thought it was a nice uh, well it does out. it does something for us and but again it's uh, is it in service of story is the real question right i mean you know that's what's so kind of extraordinary about breaking the waves is it has such a rigorous story it isn't it is not a kind of what are we doing here what are we watching kind of a movie it's actually really narratively rigorous yeah you know i mean i i think you know i think that that script is the strongest script he's ever written um you know, I think I think it, it all of those three films he did, like Dancer in the Dark, that and what was the other one? Um, uh, I guess he made the idiots around there, but that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, that's a very different. Um, yeah, what was the other? Uh, <laughs> um, what was the other of those of the trio? Why Dogville? Dogville? 
I don't think oh, it was no, Dogville. Mandarin? Shit, I'm forgetting. Yeah. Um, it wasn't Ma- it wasn't Melancholia. That's a lot later. Oh, it yeah, was that's, uh, that's much later. It, it, no, it wasn't Melancholia. I guess what was it? Dancer in the Dark. In the dark. Yeah, Waves. Dogville was the next. Oh, I guess it maybe, huh? So yeah. maybe it was. Um, but I think that script, you know, I think for whatever reason, he really he really found the core of a narrative that was really really rugged as far as structure goes i haven't seen that kind of structure from him since then which with that kind of rigor you know and i think within the realm of that story it was really it was really amazing because of the power of story which was again going back to that dogma thing can you write a story that's so that you can't turn your eyes from because of the power of story even if you have nothing else you don't have lighting you don't have music you don't have you know we've taken away everything else can you are you so enraptured with a story that you that you want to watch it anyway and and you know i just that really pumped me up when i was young because i was in this place where i didn't know you know the dream of making a movie was so distant you know it was like i didn't know how the hell you ever get there you know I, I, that's all I wanted to do, but how the hell do you do it? You know, like I didn't have a a dad or an uncle or someone that was going to help me into that industry. And I never went to film school and, you know, what the, how do you do it? And that was so exciting to me that you could, that you could, you know, that story is so powerful that you don't need the keys to the kingdom, essentially, you know, you don't need $20 million. Um, you just need story, which anybody can do, uh, if you're just willing to, to put the time in. Yeah. To do the work. Um, yeah. Sorry. I was just saying the kingdom was in the middle of that, which sort of the TV show. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think that. I think there was, there that was, was prior. That was in the middle. That was like between breaking the waves and, um, oh, uh, man. I think, but, um, that, that first period where he was sort of exploding as the Lars von Trier we know and love today was. Uh, pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, it was um, Europa, the kingdom, and then breaking the waves. Yeah, okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, and, uh, yeah, the kingdom's wild. It's definitely worth, definitely worth, uh, watching. It's, it's, um, definitely not dogma because it's genre. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't not think I saw the kingdom. <laughs> oh, it's worth tracking down. I'm sure that I'm sure really? you can find it easier these days. Yeah. Back, oh, back yeah, in the it's day. It's much you... easier to find. It's, it's, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's more conventional than some of the other yep. pictures, but, uh, it's still fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's very unusual. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, but I love what you're saying, but also keep in mind the thing with, with him, cause you know, everything with him is, is, you know, a, a bit of a lie and a bit of hokum, you know, he had already kind of, you know, all the stuff you're talking about, the things that you, you know, you can make a movie without that. He'd already mastered all of that. You know, he was already, he'd already learned how to make movies within that kind of system and with that kind of, uh, style and everything. So now you're sort of watching this, um, this guy sort of throw a, 
you know, throw away the surface of all that and just get to the, the heart of it, which is so interesting. It I is. Can't think, I can't think of another filmmaker who's made that journey from, you know, it would be like if, if Fincher all of a sudden started making Cassavetes films or something. I know, I know. <laughs> well, I think that it's a really, I, I, it's interesting because I can see it in artists who, yeah. who, you know, relinquish control as they go um, and, and kind of, um, you know, give in to the, that more lifelike or emotional way of, of dealing with things. Uh, you know, a lot of filmmakers start wanting to control things, um, you know, and, and be like in this, you know, emulate this thing and then, and then relinquish it a little bit as they go. A lot of people's first films are more controlled than their second, you know. Um, so I do, I do see that a little bit, but I agree with you that his, his path is so unusual that way. Yeah. Like, well, he was, he was also prone to bouts of depression. Uh, yeah. which I think is, you can see in the films and, he, and his, and his fear of flying. That's one of the reasons that he never made films outside. Oh yeah. Small That's right. Area. Uh, and as a, as a, as a phobic person, um, if you, you know, that sort of dictates a lot of the content of the stories that he's telling. I agree. Oh, that's so, yeah, it's, that's true. Yeah. He's, it's, it's very clear. <clears throat> and I, I, you know, I kind of, uh, relate to that in the sense of, you know, the, the creative process is really um, mercurial. I mean, I, I find it's very like a very bipolar place to be day by day. You know, you just, you know, I'm writing right now and, and, you know, it's, I find, you know, I have days where it's just intensely difficult, you know, and um, I, I, I think he's genuinely dealing with something that's probably chemical and I'm not, but, uh, but even just the creative process is really mired in, in, in that. If you're really in it, you know, it's not ever, um, you never get there, you know, it's yeah. like you have to be in it for that journey. Well, that, that's the fun thing about dogma and about the obstructions and everything else is it's a way of, uh, it's you can think too much about that process. Yeah. You know, and these are ways of shaking that loose and, and forcing you to, you know, get around yourself in some ways. Um, well, I wonder what allowed him to, to know he wanted to do that. It's kind of interesting, you know, yeah. like what, because he was such a, it was, it was absolutely the right choice to make for that film. And he, he clearly knew he was going for something utterly emotional, you know, that that's, I think that must've been his, his, his basic, thinking is this just has to be, it has to be an emotional camera, you know, it has to be free, um, you know, because they, he really went for broke on it. I mean, they, he, those, those weren't editable scenes, you yeah. know, yeah. they were, they were like, like you were saying, they were, they were like two jump pans, you know, yeah. like you were, you would be like, wow, you know, and even relinquishing uh, focus. Mm -hmm. You know, he was just saying, really going for broke on it and saying, yeah. this is going to, this is going to work because of the purity of the performances and the emotions. And, you know, she came and, and that was also on a performance level, one of the most outstanding performances I had oh seen. Oh my God. She's, and it's her first, she had one TV credit before that. She's, it was her first movie. Emily Watson, yeah. we're talking about. Emily Watson, yeah. Um, you know, Helena Bonham Carter was supposed to play that role right before 
they were, you know, she dropped out right before they were going to shoot. Oh, wow. How does that, how, how do you, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. And she, and she dropped out and it's, and you know, I, I had a little bit of that experience with this film and I think that I relate to, you know, I think that Lars was asking a lot, <laughs> you know, he was asking a lot and of that actor and, you know, maybe too much in a way. I mean, I think that that role in particular in Breaking the Waves was, oh yeah, you know. Well, according, I, to a, according to a number of his other actresses, he's asked a lot from them too. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the relationship with Bjork was not, not very positive. Uh, right. And the Nicole Kidman relationship was not particularly uh, warm. Um, and, and so what, what I always wonder is, you know, here, here's a guy who's just made this movie, gotten it off his chest, done, you know, uh, accomplished, I, I would think what he hoped to accomplish. And now, now he has to go on, he has to make other films. How does he come to the choice of making a film with no sets, with just chalk marks on the floor, which works by the way, I think really well. I mean, I, I, I found that movie fascinating. I also think so. Yep. Uh, and, um, and then to go on to melancholia, which is about the end of the world. Talk about having, yep. you know, working on your fears. Um, Amazing film. it's just, it's so, so much of it, obviously, whatever kind of interesting person he is informs his movies to a degree, much more so than a lot of other filmmakers. Oh, I agree. And, and I, and the, and the willingness or compulsion to do it, to bring that to the screen, you know, he's not keeping yeah. it at bay. Um, you know, and Dogville, I think it makes sense to me, Dogville and its restrictions, you know, it makes mm -hmm. sense in, in the, you know, knowing him. And, but then of course, to go to Melancholia is like the opposite again. I mean, yeah. the absolute Melancholia was interesting because it, it seemed to embody some of like the celebration, which was not his film, but was his film because he was part of that group. You know, he was, mm -hmm. he was very much a part of that film and the whole wedding of it all. Remember the first act of yeah. Melancholia really, really, you know, energetically reminded me of the celebration, yeah. which I thought was, was fascinating. And of course, also more so for the fact of where it ended up going, <laughs> you know, just the, the, the idea of this fresh start, the idea of a wedding and beginning something and then, you know, heading to the end is pretty, uh, that's uplifting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, dude, where's the, where the, how do you go to, you know, the end is this, this, this comet hurtling toward the earth. And, and then you look back at breaking the waves and you had church bells. It's like, man, those are two very polar opposite. Endings. Well, maybe there were, maybe it's, there were some events in his life that <laughs> put him on a certain track. Yeah. I just love him. I just think that he's, I mean, he's a provocateur for sure. Oh, and, yeah. and, and I, I can imagine the hard, you know, I've not met him and I don't, uh, but, but he's been important to me. And I think that, you know, the, the seeing filmmakers break the rules is really important and it's hard to do in this country. You know, we, we don't, I, I, I joke with the Danes a lot because I have a Danish editor, Mikkel on my film and I've spent a lot of time and, Denmark and you know these guys have a country that supports them making movies <laughs> you know we do not we do not have a country that's giving us money to make movies and you know it's a it's a really different environment and if you're going to break the rules here um 
you you really gotta you know it's it might be your last film <laughs> you know um and and, that, and i think there's a lot of truth to that i mean i don't think you know it's a different system here yeah. uh, you know you have to you have to make your money back on your movie or else or else you don't make another one um and and you know the the danes aren't having to think like that as much i don't think you know they're they're able to 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 stretch a little bit more yeah yeah um no, it's certainly true yeah i was just looking up i could what was yeah speaking of him being a provocateur those those comments he made at can oh fuck um, why do you do I that mean, well so clearly joking and there are you know jokes you can tell in a room with your friends who all get where you're coming from and then there's jokes you can tell in front of the press and i think saying i'm a nazi i sympathize with hitler a little bit is <laughs> Not going to be taken well by the. It's not world. a career boost. It's not a smart thing to do, and he's obviously fucking with people. And um, he just had to do it. He just had to do it. I think it's a problem being a provocateur. Is you're you're like you have to go farther and farther. You know. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But it's harder to shock people these days. Yeah. You think yeah. it's harder? You know, sometimes I wonder if it's it's like you can say anything and be shocking these days. Like you can, you can, you know, in a funny way, we're, we're very overly sensitive these days. No, you no, know? We're, we're, we're incredibly overly sensitive, but, but, but the, the idea of being able to, to just come out and make, make Hitler jokes, uh, is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough call. Yeah. It's a very <laughs> it's tough a call. Tough one to <laughs> I mean, you know, I have family that died in Auschwitz and I don't make Hitler jokes. You know, I mean, you just, you just, it's just an area where you, you stay away from. Too soon. Too soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, but you know, it, it's really interesting with, with, you know, my language with sound of metal is a, like a highly emotional language of, of yeah. shooting and cutting. It's, it's really, really going for that. And it's, it's kind of, you know, again, really committing to this idea of what it is to go on a visceral emotional journey. You know, what's that? It's, it's totally committed to that. And then you guys brought up the sound design. It's all in service of that. Yeah. And I think that, I think that, you know, breaking the waves really helped me ultimately get there because breaking the waves was one of those movies where I, I was just completely blown away by what it is to go on a journey like that, you know? Um, and uh, in a way that I hadn't, I, I just hadn't had that experience uh, to that degree. And, and that breakout acting experience, which was Emily's, Emily's, you know, the job she did in that movie, but also the woman who played her sister. Um, I don't know if you remember or what her name was, but she is, she's so outrageously good. Oh yeah, she's, um, uh, oh my God, what is her name? She's from uh, the Mike Lee, uh, I mean, she's done a lot oh, of- Oh, right. Because she's in Naked and, and several- Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's um, so good. She's, yeah, fantastic. Um, hang on, I should pull this up because it's like, we should, we should definitely- I, I still remember her, her, you know, her, the, the speech at the wedding in the beginning. Oh. And it was just, she's so amazing. And, you know, the energy between them was, was so beautiful. Uh, Kat, Katrin Cartledge. Oh, right. Um, oh, my God. I didn't know she had passed away. Oh, good Lord. 20 oh, years ago. She, really? Very, very young. Yeah. Um, oh, very sad. Yeah, she's an incredible uh, actress. Um, Holy shit. And Her yeah, performance she's... is so unsung in that movie. Like, if you, anybody who watches that movie 
you're just going to be blown away by her. It was really transcendent. It was so focused, so specific. And, you know, that movie's all about love. You know, it's so, it's, you know, all screenwriters talk about this, like the, the best choices in movies, you know, come from love. You know, those are the best conflicts come from love. And, you know, we think in that way all the time, even, even when you don't know that's what you're watching. It's, it's generally true that, you know, if that's not there, we don't tend to care. But that movie is so, like, overtly that, you know, it's about faith and about yeah. love. And, um, and they establish that really early on in that film. You know, it's this kind of unbridled, wild energy of, of that, of, you know, her being attracted to this guy like a moth to a flame and her sister being overprotective of her. But, but both all energies in all directions are this ferocious love. And, and that's why you care so much, you know? You care because you love them too. You know, very quickly in that story, you love them too. Yeah. And, you know, this sounds so obvious, but it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's not about being likable. It's just about loving them. It's, they can be very flawed, but you love them. And, um, well, Jan, I'm not entirely sure how likable the husband is for a good chunk of it. You know, you're kind of, there's, he's there's dubious. So, he's dubious. And she even, uh, the sister even says that. And, um, even, even at the end, when you see his reaction and how devastated he is, uh, it's not clear whether or not he has always loved her or if in the process of what they have gone through, he has come to appreciate her, you know, um, but it's, it's a beautiful journey to go on and, and not to be sure. And not to be exactly. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. dubious. But it's her love for him that is more important in the yes. sense of like, you know, and and the sister's love for her. Yep. Because that you have to feel that sense of danger and dubiousness of his requests um, because that's where the faith is. Yeah. That's, that's what that is all about. That's yeah. about, you know... Um, that's the whole crux of the story. That's what, that's the engine of the story. That's why you can't turn away from it. You know, yeah. it's really, it's really quite brilliant that way. He was yeah. on. That's a phenomenal. And what's funny is watching it. I had, um, uh, you know, and it's been, it's been a little while since I saw sound of metal and I've seen 12,000 movies in the interim, but, but it has stayed with me very much. And tonally there's a similarity. I don't even know how to write it. There, there is a, I was just looking, you have a, is there a score in that film? I seem to not. Well, that's right. And that's, that's why I thought to talk about breaking the waves because yeah. um, so in sound and metal, there is a score, but the score really stems from the sound design. Um, and the score is meant to feel not let, not like a score, you know, so often in films score feels like something big. That's yeah. like a back, a backdrop of what you're watching. This score is meant to feel like it's, it's like an energy coming from within the character. You know, it's, it's really related to his anxiety. It's a very specific, it often will stem from like a, an engine. Like there's one scene where it's like the engine of the airstream is where the score comes from that. And it, and it right. like, yes. you know, so you always are feeling like it doesn't, generally just come from nowhere. It's really from this perspective. And, and that was that. Um, so it's there and it's not there, but it's extremely subtle. It's not, there's not a lot of score in the movie. And that's, 
for very similar reasons, I think it's breaking the waves, which is to say that, you know, the film is, is asking you to go on this kind of visceral emotional journey as it relates to that. And if you, if you jerked emotion with score, you wouldn't, you would not have that feeling. Yeah. And remember I was saying those sound portraits. So we have these shots, these static shots that come at these specific moments in Sound of Metal that I really think of as chapters. And if I were to title them, they would be, the first one would be sound. Mm-hmm. And the second one would be of, and the third one would be metal. Mm. And, and the first sound is the world they live in of sound. Of is, the definition of of is to be part of or belong. It's like being a part of a group. So that's that whole experience of the deaf community. And metal is the third act, which is the, the metal you don't really expect that you're heading toward. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I, and I, instead of actually labeling those chapters, I put, I put these static shots of, um, uh, uh, you know, very specific static shots that, that it would be interesting to see if people can identify them, but they go on for, again, slightly longer than you expect. And they give you a moment of respite, but rather than, you know, what I was saying, like Lars in those shots that he has that CGI thing that brings your, your mind, your eyes somewhere. Rather than that, in these shots, you have a kind of a a sonic journey that you're taking. So the shot's static, but the sound isn't, you know? Yeah. So, so as that, as that, because the shot is static and you don't, you know, you don't have anywhere else to look, your ears get very attentive and they, they actually kind of, they bring you into that next act in a very, very specific way. So I was really interested in that language. And I, I think on some level, it wasn't, I didn't think about it overtly, but on some level that has to do with breaking the waves. And then, and then of course, sound of metal ends with bells. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, no. No, it's a a copy to Lars. Yeah. I would love for Lars to see it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That would be interesting. Um, But no, it's, it's an astonishing film. Uh, um, I, I recommend it to, people constantly um I have oh, one friend, so, so kind i have one friend who's a heavy metal bass player who simply refuses for reasons that <laughs> well it's it's his greatest fear <laughs> a lot of musicians feel yeah. that way and yeah. you know i'm a musician my brother's a musician i wrote it with derek c in france my my dear friend who i started this with like way back and you know he and i write together a lot he he was a drummer but i think for musicians it is it is impossible to to allow yourself to go on that journey it's it is the greatest fear of any musician yeah. of course you know um i mean i i think musicians actually feel it uh, I, they they are glad they've watched it when they go through it but it does ask a lot maybe more yeah yeah you know step, step into your worst fear you know it's, uh... well that's why it was so tantalizing to write because entering into that greatest loss that most incredibly visceral sense of loss is so is so you know intense and to kind of live into that um and to feel like you can you know you're going to work your way through it but not necessarily in the way that you expect like you were saying you know that we've seen those the triumph over over disability movies and that and sound of metal is very much not that or it is in a very different way (laughs) <laughs> right. Um, 
Well, it's probably yeah. more about addiction than it is about disability, you know. So um, yeah, good point. Good point. Um, well, it's a terrific film. And uh um obviously if if uh for our listeners, if you haven't seen it yet, um please please go uh and and, and then watch Breaking the Waves. Um <laughs> again, because it's Just it's to a, cheer yourself up. Yeah, to cheer. <laughs> Actually, I would, I would reverse that. Watch Breaking the Way and watch Sound of Metal. Uh, oh, you think you should end with Sound of Metal? God, that yeah, would be yeah. a hell of a doubleheader. Yeah. Man, uh, um, those two films, I don't know. Maybe. Um, call, the, call the new art. <laughs> Actually, I would thing. love, I would love be, that. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. The, um, I would love that. Uh, when we're back in the world, someone should do that. Um, and I don't know, there's just something. I mean, obviously, we, we love films. It's so funny watching movies of a certain type with people who are not psychotic film lovers. Cause you know, I can watch the most depressing film ever made. And if it's beautifully made, I, I, I walk out of it just sort of alive and full of joy. And you're watching it with somebody who's just sitting there going, I want to kill myself. And you're like, no, it was a great movie. Didn't you see? And they're like, eh. I have the same thing. I, if you show me a, show me a film, like a happy film that's poorly made I, I get so down yeah then that's depressing you know? too exactly <laughs> like, it's like you know but show me a beautiful depressing film and i'm all in yeah I mean, and let's be know. clear breaking the waves is the one that's that's uh, potentially depressing i i don't think sound of metal is a remotely downbeat film it's it's um it's an amazing journey uh and um yeah i i uh, i look i look forward to you getting all those awards you deserve for it oh that's um, that's very kind well, it's 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 exciting to to have it in the world because it's been it was a long time coming, and it's a very strange time to have something in the world. It and, certainly you is. Know, I hope that there's a moment when then the film could be re released in theaters. Because I mean, the, to, to to labor all those years to get this thing on the screen and then find out there are no screens. <laughs> <laughs> to think people are watching it on their phones, my know, God! Know. You know, it's just our world. It's our world. But on the other hand, at least I. At least, uh, you know, I'm with a company that has a way to show it to people because yeah. it could have been a lot worse if there was, yeah. if it wasn't a streaming service. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I, I do feel grateful for that. But I, um, you know, when, when we turn the podcast off, I'm just going to bitch and moan. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, feel free to start now. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Darius, thank you so much thank for joining so much. us, man. That was, that was great. I, I really was. I was like, oh my God, are we going to do one movie? And I'm like, we could go another hour on this thing. It's crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, we barely scraped the surface. <laughs> uh, but thank you. Yeah, I mean, your passion for that movie is clear. And it's just, it's such an interesting way to sort of connect the dots uh, of, of your process. Yeah, it's fun for me to think about, you know, because it, I, I hadn't really formulated it. And I think there's a lot of crossover there with this movie. So I'm going to go and rewatch it on Criterion. It's yeah, yeah, it's it's gorgeous. Um, obviously, on the biggest screen you can get. So. Actually, I recently saw it. I, I, the reason I didn't rewatch it is I I took my 16 year old to go see it at Metrograph last year, um, and uh, and it was a little bit like it's a, a little bit you know not quite a 16 year old film, but not quite, <laughs> but. But Ezra is is really like really into film, really sophisticated, and I you know it was a little bit of a stretch. But the reason I took him is because it's it was actually being projected on thirty five at Metrograph in New York, and I thought, mm. shit, you know, when do you? This might be the only opportunity yeah. to do this. I yeah, had to right. do it. Yeah. yeah. 
Of course, you know. if he, you know, he may be having nightmares about Udo Kier for the rest of his life. And well, I was just to say, like, you know, okay, <laughs> you're having nightmares, but it was being projected on 35 <laughs> at Metrograph. Exactly. It's like, exactly. you know, uh, sorry about the therapy for years. Yeah, no, you're these no. are these are the correct priorities. You're a, you're a good father. <laughs> oh. um, well, thank you, sir, for joining us. Uh, this Thanks a lot. Great. Really, really. Thanks. Good, good luck. And again, Sound of Metal. Um, well, oh my God, this is so stupid. I'm. Is it, it's streaming now, right? On, on it's uh, streaming on Amazon Prime. On Amazon Prime, yes, you can see it right now. You can you can turn us off and turn it on, and uh, I'm glad you did. So, <laughs> stay safe. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Stay safe out there, folks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.